the, the themes we're doing each week, these themes are big. These are big subjects. These are big themes. You know, when we talk about, this morning we're going to get into talking about uh, the church being a beacon of truth. There's no way in 30, 40 minutes you can explore the church being the truth. We've been exploring that for a couple of thousand years. So the goal this morning is, is, is to, to get the conversation restarted in our souls. To realize that, that the truth has come, come in the person and being of Jesus Christ, and he is living and dwelling with you and with me, and we are to be that truth in the world today. And, and how can we do that in a way that makes a difference? So I'm going to go on a little bit of a journey as we go through the message this morning. And uh, ho- hopefully tie together some of the places we've been and, and, and where we will be going. Um, in the end, when we, when we get to the end, what I really want us to do is ask some questions. I want us to, 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 to soul search. How can we allow the God who desires to break into this world to break into us? How can we allow the God who desires to break into this world to break into us? Because that's how he breaks into the world. And when we allow him to break into us, then we bring the truth in the world. You know, Winston Churchill during World War II said this, said that the truth was so important, we encase it in a body of lies. Anybody feel like that's the truth today? We, the truth is so important, we encase it in a body of lies. Why? Because if the truth gets out, then they'll know the plan. The enemy will know the plan. Well, I would say what we're faced with in the world today is the, en- is the enemy is encasing it in a body of lies so that we wouldn't know the truth. But how many know that that doesn't, it doesn't end up that way? So, the church being a beacon of truth, there's three concepts, there's three dimensions to the gospel. The go- How many know that the gospel is holistic, meaning it addresses all of life? It addresses everything about life. Not only about us, spiritual aspect, about our relationship with God, about us going to heaven. It addresses all there is in life. How many know that? Okay, so understanding that there are three dimensions to the kingdom of God. Three dimensions, love, power, and truth. The kingdom of God rests on three dimensions, and they're inseparable. You can't tear them apart. In this this series of messages we're we're going through, it's bringing out each aspect of this. Uh, I love this. This is from the Evangelical Dictionary of World Missions, talking about the gospel being whole. The three dimensions of the whole gospel. Words proclaim the truth of God. Signs proclaim the power of God. And deeds proclaim the love of God. Each is a part of the good news, but the gospel is not fully proclaimed until all three dimensions are experienced and understood. Did you catch that? How many know that the gospel goes out because we love? It comes in our deeds, finding suffering in the world and alleviating it, bringing education, bringing science in the world, doing those things which create human flourishing, helping those who are oppressed, having a heart of compassion and mercy, and, and, uh, and, and, and lifting up those who are downtrodden. How many know that that is a, a, a full part of the gospel? Wow, one person. 
Two. Two people. Three people. It's an auction now. How many? <laughs> Guys, this is life or death. But, but, but there are people who will say, well, it's just about my deeds. If I just go do good things, if I just go about doing what's good and doing what's right, then I'm bringing the gospel. No, it also is mixed with power. How many know there are lives that are caught up in addictions, who are bound up in, in, in spiritual bondage? who are in need of healing, body, soul, and spirit, who are in need of the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life to break the chains, to set them free. Where the gospel goes, these signs shall follow those who believe. Now, I'm gonna say this. This is what we're talking about on Wednesday night, this very aspect of the gospel. If you haven't come out yet, I invite you to come out. We just started talking about this subject. Uh, uh, last Wednesday night was our first, first week into, into the subject, second week, into the subject. I invite you to come out. But it's inseparable from love. You can't have love without power. But there's a third aspect as well. When I love someone, when I pray for them and, and the power of God manifests, I need to also tell them there is words that need to unlock the lies that live in our brains and deceive us. And it is truth. You cannot separate love and truth and power. They can't be separated. Now, love, truth, and power break into chaos and darkness. You know, we, we had this story in the beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis 1-1, the story of creation. How many are familiar with that story? You heard it before? I think once or twice. You open up the Bible, and the Bible begins with this story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, this story I have seen in Christian circles wrestled over and over. Theologians wrestling over and over. Well, it, is it seven literal days? Is it seven eons? Is it, is, is, did God create this way? Did God create that way? And I'm telling you, there is a major point that we are missing that the Bible is opening up with. What is it saying? I'm going to borrow the words from Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield said this, as Christians, we forget something major. What we forget, we forget that this world is hard and frightening. And because we have hope, we have a way of facing this world. But your neighbor who does not have the hope of the gospel, all they see is a world that is hard and frightening. Well, what Genesis is saying, what it is doing when it is opening up, it is saying, listen, in the beginning, the world was without form and void. It was dark. There was chaos, darkness, the forces of evil, destruction, terror, ignorance, sadness, confusion. All of that is in the meaning of darkness. It, what, what the Bible is doing, it is opening up in the very beginning and saying, guys, we live in a world that's hard and dark and difficult. 
It's the forces of this world are against life, uh, uh, um, uh, are about destroying life instead of expanding life. How many think that's an exaggeration? Nobody? We're a church of realists. <laughs> All kidding aside, right now we're facing... Uh, Potential war, Russia invading the Ukraine. We've got China stirring up war over Taiwan. We've been dealing with a world sickness that we have no clue how to deal with. We've been dividing ourselves when we should be uniting ourselves over all kinds of issues in humanity. We have places in the world right now, this major places where they're literally live harvesting organs from prisoners. We have places in the world right now where you are uh, um, completely persecuted if you demonstrate faith. There's a lot of darkness that's going on in the world around us. Not, not to set aside the fact that, that, you know, a lot of us deal with, with economic issues and with grief and with fear and all of these things that face us. This is where the Bible starts. It starts right here. And it says, listen, into this God created. Into this God spoke and life came out. That is the cross. That's the cross. What happened at the cross? God himself embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, who, what did he do? He brought life. He brought freedom. He brought deliverance. He set the captives free. He spoke the word of truth. He loved those who were in bondage. And he took on all that was malevolent, all that was ignorant, all that was evil, all that was fear on himself. And he exchanged it for life. That's what's going on in the first chapter of the Bible. God spoke, and that word was alive. And that living word, what's the first thing it brought? It brought light. And his light overcomes darkness. What's the second thing it brings? It brings life. And that life overcomes that, that evil that depresses it. What's the third thing he brings? He brings his love. He creates you and I in his image to experience his presence. And we enter into what? Sabbath rest. The kingdom of God full on earth. This is the first chapter of the Bible. This is God breaking in. You see, what was going on when, when the authors actually wrote this, back in, in antiquity, when they're writing this, every, all the different religions of the world, actually when they called them religions, the different empires of the world, had their stories, their cultural ways of explaining how, how this, this uh, uh, chaotic world um, uh, was dealt with with their gods. And into all that, the, the, God speaks through the, the author of Genesis and says, no, it's not about the chaotic forces of this world. It's about God who is outside of this world who brings his truth into it. And it gives us this story about the truth of God transforming and changing all of creation, this creative force. But here's what we have to ask ourselves. What makes it more than a story? 
If I, if I could say, well, look, you know, the Mesopotamians had a story just like this. The Egyptians had a story that was similar to this. You know, the, the Ugarit had a story. This, how do we know this isn't just the Israelites' story? Because from that page forward throughout the entire Bible, God doesn't just tell us the story he breaks in. When the world rebels over and over, what does he do? He raises up a man, Abraham, who stands in truth, who stands in faith in his time, in his generation. And he gives that son miraculously a child, a seed. And through that son, another son, Jacob. And then 12 sons. And they go off into the land of Egypt. And he supernaturally protects the land of Egypt to survive. And that land does what? After the supernatural protection of God, rebels against God and quashes the people of God. And what does God do? He breaks in again. Over and over throughout the Bible, God breaks in and delivers his people out. And over and over, what do you and I do? Rebel. Rebel. And exile happens and separation happens and God breaks in again. It's not simply a story. It's the history of the world. And in that, in the midst of that, John writes this. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. What is he saying? It, John is causing us right here at this point, at this moment, to think about exactly what happened when God overcome the evil of this world. In the beginning was the word, and that word was with God, and that word was God. And guess what? That word became flesh. Something just happened. Something unique, something different, something that changes everything. Something that changes it for you, that changes it for me, that changes it for the world. Why? Because the word becoming flesh is not an idea to argue with. It's not a concept to be wrestled with. It's not a philosophy. The word, the truth, has now come in person and stood among us. Embodied, the incarnation, all the fullness of the Godhead in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, listen to the words of John. He says, he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made. He was what? He was life. What did the word bring? Life. And then it says what? He was the light of men. What did the word bring? Light. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What did we see in the beginning of Genesis? Darkness. Who is Jesus? The one who overcomes darkness. Now let's take this out of all this symbolism and let's put it real. Where does that darkness reside in the world today? I'm going to quote the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It runs through the thin line of the heart of every man and every woman. It's the darkness that runs down us. It's the darkness that we confront, that he's confronting with the light. Now, here's the amazing thing. Pastor Terry was sharing earlier about the light. Here's the amazing thing. You ever go into a room and you shut all the lights out? Anybody ever been in a cave? Anybody done a cave tour before? Who's done a cave tour? Okay, so if you don't like darkness, don't, don't do a cave tour, I warn you. Because when they do this thing, they get you down underneath, and you're deep down underneath the earth, and then they tell everybody, okay, stand still, don't move. It's going to be scary for a second, but don't move. And then they shut the lights out. You can't see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark. 
You can't see that. Okay? That's the kind of darkness it is in there. But what do they do? They put the light on, and these little light bulbs sitting up on the wall, these little tiny light bulbs that kind of uh, are surrounding the place, literally light up the whole room. You see, there's something unique about light. Light never, uh, light does not become dimmer the more darkness it enlightens. It's darkness that goes away, not light. If you have a dark closet and your room has light in it and you open your closet, your room doesn't get less light because light went into your closet. Light dispels the darkness. This is Jesus. It says this in John 1:14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden this concept, this idea of truth is embodied in a person. We can't it's not a philosophy to argue with. If you want to argue with it, you need to say Jesus didn't actually stand here in front of us. And this is what he said. He said, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and what? Truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying love and grace, I mean love and truth cannot be separated. What did we receive from truth? Grace upon grace. What did we receive from truth? Grace upon grace. Nor can it be separated from power. Why? Because it became alive. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It's embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Love, truth, and power. He goes on, he says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is one of the most misunderstood verses that John talks about. Because we automatically go, well, he's contrasting law and grace and truth. That's not what he's doing. That's not the contrast. He's paralleling law and grace. We know what grace and truth is by knowing the law. What he's contrasting is Moses was an intermediary. Moses was an interceder. He gave the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't just telling us the truth. He wasn't just giving us something. He wasn't just presenting us a covenant. He is the covenant. In my blood, you shall have a new covenant. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is unique. Thomas at the Last Supper said, uh, uh, Philip said, show us the Father. He said, Philip, hello, if you've seen me, this is what the Father looks like. He looks like this. I haven't told you a word that hasn't come from him. I haven't done one action that he isn't doing. Do we get this idea? Do we, are, we, are we wrapping our mind around who Jesus is? Truth is embodied in Christ. In him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. In Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, a lot of people get hung up over that. Oh, my goodness. It says he's the firstborn. Doesn't that mean he's a created being? That's not what he's saying here. It's, it, it has dual meaning. First of all, in Hebrew, the firstborn is the one with the authority, the inherited authority. I can show you in many, many, many scriptures. Ephraim is considered the firstborn of God. He's a grandson. 
So it's not about birth order. It's about the one who, uh, uh, who inherits the authority in the family. David is considered the firstborn. David wasn't the first king nor the oldest. He's the one who inherits the authority. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the one who inherits the authority over all creation. And it tells us why. Why? For by him, by Jesus, all things were created. He is the word, and God said, and it was good. Love, power, truth embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. All of creation in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, catch this, were created through him and for him. What does that mean? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it means to me. I remember the day when I was completely despairing because I knew, did not know if I had any purpose in this world. I remember the day that it scared me to my core to be purposeless. Well, the scripture's telling us right here, plainly, plain, you were created for Jesus, period. You were created for him, not only through him, but for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. The writer of Hebrews says that, that the very universe, the elements of the universe hold are held together by the word of God. Do you know, in science, we have no idea what holds the universe together. Did you know that? We have no idea. We don't even know what energy is, much less what holds it all together. We don't know why it just doesn't all explode. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that purpose then, how then is that, that, that uh, darkness, that chaos, how is it overcome? It is overcome because Jesus reconciles us to God. Now, there's something amazing going on in the text that we can't see because we're seeing it in English. What Paul did when he said that all this is reconciled, we're all reconciled to him, he invented a word. He took the word reconciled and added a suffix to it to say this is a unique reconciliation unlike any other kind of reconciling. It's a kind of reconciliation that reconciles two things that can't ever be normally reconciled unless something unique and special happens. It's saying that Jesus came into this creation, this world, and did something that fundamentally changes the core of this world itself that changes you, that changes me when we come to him for reconciliation that breaks all that was past and former and destructive in our lives to bring us something new, to create us to be something new, to have a new covenant and a new relationship and to be him on this earth to, to carry that forward. How do we know that? Because he says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his flesh, the body of his flesh by his death, 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Guys, look, can, we, we read these scriptures all the time and we listen to them. I'm going to just be straight up honest with you. I read that and I go, he's going to take this and he's going to make this holy and blameless and above reproach? Have you spent the last week at work with me? See, this, Paul, when he's writing this, Paul's writing a letter here. He's not sitting down and trying to write holy concepts. He's not sitting down and saying, well, let's, let me come up with some high concepts, holy concepts that I can write down and make everybody feel good. No, he's actually writing something that is transformative. Saying the blood of Jesus washes you and cleanses you and makes you new and reconciles you to that great God. We just, I'm pointing at the screen there, these words up here. That that great God we just sang, how great is our God too. He did something unique in that. If indeed, what? Makes it conditional. Did you know it was Conditional. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus is doing something in this world, and what he desires is he desires you and I to be that something he's doing and to carry that something from us out to this world. And we're going to look at how all this fits together in just a minute. I love this quote, a scholar named Dan Fountain, and he writes this. He says, God's plan for the world is this, that all persons everywhere in every nation know God's saving health, be delivered from disobedience, disruption, despair, disease, and all that would destroy wholeness. That's the gospel. Love, power, and truth. So how does Jesus do that in us? How does that break in? How 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 do how do we have the 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 the, the covenant work of the blood of Jesus in our life affect us so that we affect the world? Step number 1 it was it was a story right here. I love this story in Mark. So Jesus is off somewhere, and his disciples, this is in Mark chapter 9, his disciples uh, are arguing with the Sadducees. And Jesus starts walking over, he sees his disciples arguing with the Sadducees, okay? And, you know, the first thing on his mind, why why are they arguing? What what are they, he says, what are you arguing about? Why are you arguing? Okay? Has Jesus ever asked you why you're arguing? Anybody else? Two honest people. (laughs) He's asked me why I'm arguing plenty. And so uh, someone from the crowd comes over and says, Teacher, I brought my son to you because he has a, he's, he's got a demon, a spirit that makes him mute. He can't speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to, come at, uh, to cast it out, and they were not able. So he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, that the, the demon inside the boy saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled around foaming at the mouth. 
Well, Jesus, what's, what's interesting here is what happens next. You see, Jesus doesn't start panicking and go, oh my goodness, a demon, what am I going to do? Jesus begins to ask some questions. He begins to search the situation. And he says this. He says, hmm. He asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the, child, and the father says, from childhood. And the father goes on. He says, it has often cast him into the fire and into water to, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Right here we know why he didn't immediately cast it out. Why he waited and asked the father a question. You see, destruction is going on in front of him, and he doesn't immediately act. Why doesn't he immediately act? Because what he has to get to is the assumption in the man's heart. And if he immediately acts, the, the assumption in the man's heart that is separating him from Jesus would never be dealt with. What was the assumption in the man's heart? If you can. Guys, you cannot sit here on a Sunday morning and sing, how great is our God, and walk out that door and go, Jesus, if you can. If we want to see Jesus make a difference in this world, then we need to place our faith and trust in Jesus, not what we see in the world. We may see the world rolling around on the ground, foaming at the mouth and riling and not understand what's going on, but I can re re we can rest assured that we can trust him to work through us in that circumstance if we trust him. So what does Jesus say? If I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, listen to what he said. He said, all things are possible. He didn't say, I will do all things. The call is to trust him regardless of what he might do, period. Because we don't fully understand. I could be the person who's not understanding in fact, the disciples end up asking, why, why couldn't we can't cast this demon out? I mean, you gave us the authority and the power. You said we could do this, and we tried to do it, and it didn't work. Why didn't it work for us? You know what he said? He didn't say because you didn't have enough faith. He said because this type only comes out with prayer. What does that mean? You needed to be saturated in me. You can't just trust in a formula that you, that you think I gave you. You can't trust on one prayer you had that, that, that uh, I'm, you're walking with me as my disciples. You have to be soaked in prayer to be able to hear what the Holy Spirit wants you to do in that moment. So rather than us wondering, why isn't God moving? God's going, why aren't you trusting? Why aren't you trusting? But the good news is, is that man gets on his knees and he doesn't just say, I believe. He says, help my unbelief. I love the scriptures. Do you know how many times I've fallen before Jesus and said, help my unbelief. You see, if Jesus is actually the incarnation of the word of God, love, truth, empowered, embodied in the person of Christ who stood before us, who went to the cross and overcame the cross through rising from the dead and has sent the Holy Spirit in us. It's not up to you and me to be him. It's up to you and me to tell others about him. And he will reveal himself to anybody who says, Lord, 
help my unbelief. But it takes a few things from us. What does it take? It takes you and me bringing ourselves into the light. Paul wrote this in Corinthians, but with me it is a small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. But I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Psalm 139 says this, test me and see if there be any anxious way within me. And wash me and cleanse me that I might be renewed in you. We, the, the, the step we need to take is to come into his presence and allow him to wash us. Allow him to cleanse us. To bring, to allow him to shine the light into every dark closet we want to keep hidden. Because it doesn't offend him. He already knows about it. The only thing it's doing is offending you because you're not looking at it. I'm borrowing the next one here. I'm borrowing from uh, uh, Jordan Peterson. I love this uh, 12, um, his 12 rules for life because this is right out of the scriptures. So I bring myself to the light. I allow him to examine me. The fierce moral inventory that I dump before his grace. Allow his love to wash me and cleanse me. And then how do I interact with my neighbor? Tell the truth and at least don't lie. Tell the truth. Ephesians. Well, John chapter 8. You were of your father the devil... But your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. I don't know how many of us really think that our lies are okay. But it's a little white lie. It doesn't really matter. It didn't hurt anybody. Well, I said it so I wouldn't hurt somebody. Look, there is plenty of, look, this is not about going around and blasting people with the truth. I just tell the truth, man. Anybody know that? I just tell it like I see it. Anybody know those person? If you don't know that person, you might want to look. No, I won't say that. No, it's about being filled with grace and seasoned with salt. There's ways that you bring love in it, but my goodness, don't lie. Why? Because this. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self that belongs to your former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in what? True righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, lies, you speak let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We need to speak the truth. You know how freeing it is? You know, my wife and I had a conversation last night, and we were talking about some things, and I was sharing stuff, and I absolutely love this about my wife. She tells me the truth. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not making any sense to me. And then she goes in, you know, the, the way you said it makes me feel this way or the way you said this or when you say this, you're going off. And I'm really not sure what in the world you're talking about. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Because how in the world can I learn how to communicate if people are just lying to me? 
I love that. If you want to hear the truth, go talk to my wife. She'll tell you. <laughs> no, no, along with this, stop living hypocritically. Stop living. I, I was, I, I'm there, I've got plenty of scriptures. I'm not going to cover them right now. I am going to just tell this story. I was riding in the back of a truck, uh, a vehicle, with uh, two electricians who um, uh, I, I was ha- taking them to a job site to look at and estimate. And these two got in a conversation in the front. And they said, you know, the last person we want to work for anymore are churches. They want to beat you up over the price. They want everything for free. They don't want to pay for, for work. Oh, my goodness. What should their experience have truly been? How do people see you when you negotiate with them? Well, look, man, you know, I got to be a good steward. What about a good steward of that person's soul in front of you? Well, nobody takes care of number one. I thought we're supposed to be trusting Jesus. Stop living hypocritically. Here's the bottom line with hypocrisy. The bottom line is this. If we actually say we believe Jesus, but we do something else, then we don't really believe Jesus. It's that simple. Look, this is not, you know, I am grateful for step number one, bringing myself to the light. For all the time, I'm hypocritical and don't do what's right, and I, and I screw up and I fail, because then I can come back to the light and receive the grace of God. And he washes me and he cleanses me, and I can go to make amends. This is it's not about condemning us. It's about causing us to open our eyes about how we're behaving. How in the world can we say we have the truth for the world and live a lie? The next one in the, uh, is put on courage. In order to speak the truth, it takes courage. In order to speak the truth, it takes courage. If we're going to be the truth of Christ, we need to put on courage. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more, that's a name for the devil, by the way, if those who don't know that, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not even the hairs of your head. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's getting easier for God with me. Anyway, fear not, therefore. You are of more value than sparrows. What is he saying? Listen, to stand up and tell the truth is hard. Jesus says, look, I'm standing here telling the truth, and they're saying I'm from the devil. What do you think is going to happen to you? Nobody wants to be said you're from the devil. Nobody wants to say you're evil personified. Nobody likes that. But it is necessary if you're going to live in love. If you're going to walk in truth, if you want to see the power of God demonstrated. And finally, we're carrying the message of the truth, and we'll close with this. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. It says, we, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we carry the message of truth. We carry the message of Jesus. We bear his name. 
Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, I can say that for a fact. The only reason I stand here is the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. That's how I cannot lose heart. I know his mercy so amazingly. You can know it too. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but with an open statement of the truth. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We proclaim truth, servants, love, the power of God changing For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, the power of God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see how all these themes are brought together. We have been given this ministry, this ministry of reconciliation. And when I bring the truth, there are people that might call me a devil because of it. There might people say all kinds of evil things and, and, and call me all kinds of names. But the word says there are people who are blinded to the truth. They're not seeing it. They're not hearing it. But if I take the courage of allowing the light to shine in me, and I take the courage to say, I love you. I'm going to do deeds of love for you. I'm going to seek the power of God in your life. And when God leads me, I'm going to speak the word of God in your life, regardless of what happens to me, people get set free. That's bringing the cross. That's being a beacon of truth. 